Right. That was a great. That was a great concept. <laughs> Wasn't it? Yes. Rejuvenating physically, mentally, and also spiritually. How do you like that? How do you like that? It's a real work. Excellent. I like that. Yeah, very happy to be with here. I might be here with all of you uh, on this very special occasion. Uh, meditation. Oops, oops. Meditation. That's when I'm meditating. <laughs> You should never lose connection when you're meditating. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> what happened? It's good now. Can you try testing? Can I? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, <clears throat> so rejuvenation, not only on the physical plane, not only on the mental plane, but there's something deeply important and constant within us which also requires rejuvenation. That's the real spiritual self. So I think that you have reached out from the outside right in with a little whiff of an experience today. Somewhere deep inside it feels good and therefore it feels good on other layers outside too. So wonderful. I'm here to speak to you a little bit about whatever happened to me that I started doing this and enjoying this just like you just enjoyed. Had a little bit of a fun. So People often ask me many questions. One of the most important questions they often ask me is, out of great interest, when did you start doing this? When did you, uh, you know, have this awakening? Uh, things like that. People are very interested in knowing that. So I think that uh, I've been asked to speak to you about that a little bit. And maybe there will also be some source of inspiration for you. Actually, when people see me in these clothes, especially in most of the international airports that I go to, they give me two looks. <laughs> First, they're really scared, and they look back again after I've, after you know after I've cut eyes with them, and then I, as soon as I've turned my face away, they look again, and that's a longer one. The first one is a short one. The second one is a longer one. By the time I'm locking eyes with some others, and we're also switching off. There's a whole lot of people looking at me. Looking pretty odd. I stand out. You know. Uh, people always wonder whoever this is. But as soon as they look at me, they know that there's some sort of a religious guy. Must be a monk. And they keep away. Most of them keep away. In some other places, they make a beeline to me. And if it was in India, or some other places they just stand and watch you and they come straight away to you and greet you and say, can you speak some words to me about this, about that. But some other places the response is different, like I told you, 
In American airports, normally it's a strange look like that. <laughs> but I'm, I'm used to it. I'm used to it. Some sort of a non-conformist is not conforming. This person is not like others. He is glaringly, flamboyantly showing, I don't belong to you. How dare he do that? How, how dare he do that? He should be like everybody else. That's what you'd be, uh, a non-conformist, at least in terms of looks. But actually, I'm a nice guy. <laughs> I'm approachable, I'm accessible. I'm a cool monk. <laughs> I like to talk to people. I want to actually get them attracted to me, and that's why I'm wearing this. That's one type of marketing that I do, <laughs> unbeknownst to others. Uh, but in a sense, it's interesting phenomena, social phenomena that I observe. But inside, deeper inside, what drives a person to do this is a nice story that is very special to each one of us who are like this. I'm inspired by Bhakti Vedanta Swami, whose picture you see there, and his amazing writings and his teachings. He was obviously a leader in these type of things. He came all the way from India. He was 70 years old and he landed up here. It was totally new. He didn't know this culture at all. And then he met with a lot of youngsters like all of you here. And he introduced them to a new reality. A reality that was very, very necessary for anybody in this world, be an Indian monk or a Buddhist in the Himalayas or somebody else elsewhere or somebody else struggling at home with a job and kids or anybody. We are all in search of what is real. What's real is deep inside us. Anybody see this movie called Matrix? <laughs> yeah, it's one of the <coughs> interesting movies. Yeah, you've seen it, right? Yeah. It's an amazing movie. And that movie, uh, the hero Neo, is told by Morpheus, the guy who knows everything, Mr. Know All. He's told that, you know, like a splinter in your brain always troubling you. There's something asking you a question consistently, killing your reality. Is this real? What's the real stuff? You have that question inside you. And he say, he thinks that, how do you know about it? <laughs> it's the question that troubles everybody. <clears throat> so if you're a little thoughtful, you ask these questions, because I'm born and I'm going to die, right? What's in between and what's after that? And what was it before? People who are a little thoughtful think about this thing. What is real? What is real? That type of a question is something that affected me too. You know? Uh, because <coughs> reality is something that you don't see, but it's glaringly obvious when you get to see it. You know these 3D things that jump out of the... Uh, you, you're given these uh, sheets of paper, guys who want to test your cognizance and especially when they want to do engineering and certain type of stuff. They give you a test and it looks like a, a whole lot of colors 
like a collage of different types of colors. And they ask you, can you see something there? Mostly people can't see it. Most of us can't see it. But all of a sudden, some people say, ah, I can see it. It stands out like that, like a 3D. You need to click it in your vision. Have you, have you done this? It stands out like that, boom. On the same 2D stuff that you've been seeing all along, a 3D figure stands out. You can't watch it otherwise. But after that, your brain gets conditioned to seeing it very easily. But till you are not able to see it, you can't actually see it. Where is it? What do you see? It's just a plain design. It's something like that. You know, a joke. Uh, you know this famous guy, Sherlock Holmes, detective. Um, Sherlock Holmes and Watson, they both went together on, you know, picnic and camping outside. And they camped out in the tent and uh, they were just you know, in between they got up and they were watching the sky, all the stars and the luminaries in the sky. And Holmes was saying, what do you see? What do you get to see? So Watson, you know, as usual, he, he said, I get to see that, uh, you know, the wonderful, you know, stars and astronomically I can see that there are so many such planets out there and we are nobody. Astrologically, I can see that Saturn is entering Leo. And horologically, I can see that this is. And then this is socially, I can see that he gave all sorts of interpretations. You know, five, six of them. Then he turned around to Holmes and said, what about you? What do you think about it? Holmes said, somebody stole our tent. <laughs> you idiot. That's why we never see the sky. <laughs> A glaring reality that Holmes always points out, <laughs> being a detective. Is it? Uh, apart from all the stuff that you said, the real stuff is, somebody stole our tent. <laughs> That's why we're able to see that. So there are people who can actually tell you this. You fool, this is what is happening, you're not able to see it. You're not able to see it. I read the books of Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada, and that thing happened to me. Although it took me some time of reading and some practicing and everything, it struck me like a thunderbolt that this is true. This is true. There is another reality which we don't know about. And like I told you, it's some sort of a splinter in the brain, somebody tickling you, giving you a painful twitch inside, sort of got solved, at least intellectually, that this is what it is. So that was amazing to me. For me, that was an awakening. That was one of the best of things that ever happened to me in my life. <clears throat> I came to believe in a different reality from what we exist in. That doesn't mean that I gave up this reality, don't function here anymore or anything. But at least I came to know about it. And I also came to know that it can be reached, it can be accessed, and it can go up there. And the more I, you know, talk to people about this, the more I think about it, when I talk about it, and the more I answer people's questions, the deeper I actually getting to know about that reality. And this is what I understood is yoga. Yoga means from your present situation, which is, you're not able to get grips of it. 
getting to know the real situation and connecting to that. That is the real definition of yoga. Yoga means, it's coming from a word called yuj in Sanskrit. Yuj means unite. Yuj means to connect, to yoke. Uh, putting yourself back into reality, connecting with reality. So that was very interesting for me. But as soon as I did it, I saw that society didn't take it so easily. First great problem I had to tell my family members that I'm going to be a little different guy. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. That was one of the painful things to do. Uh, first thing was, I come from a very big family actually. Some of you may be surprised that my mom had eight kids. It's one of those grand moms. I came from a matriarchal family. My mom was like the heavy duty woman at home. Even my father listened to her. That's not surprising, maybe. But my father would happily listen to her because she was pretty talented and pretty good at it. Um, and so my mom and me were very good friends. I could say all sorts of things to my mom. I was like the, I had five, I have five sisters and two brothers. Three sisters are younger to me, two sisters are younger to me, and two brothers are elder to me. They're all still there on the planet, they're living. I meet them often, and we have fun together again. Uh, but the amazing thing was, as a professional chemical engineer from a good institution, I was working in a very good job, and all of a sudden these things happened to me. And uh, one fine day, they said, enough is enough. And I just resigned my job. And I didn't even tell my mom that I resigned my job. It's not like in America that you get a job or after, after you're 18 years old, you're out of the house, you make your own living. Uh, in India, we all live together in the same family. It continues like that. And uh, I was like one of the earners of money in the family. And I didn't even tell my mom, I just quit. And I was wondering how to tell her now. And because I was not going to work the next day, but I have to tell <laughs> And so she finding out, why are you not going to work? Oh, mom, I quit my job. Why did you not tell me before? So I thought it's better to tell her. So it was late evening like this, and uh, she was knitting a sweater because the cold season coming. And uh, I came up there, and she asked, so what's up? And then I said, um, I need to talk to you about something serious. I said, yeah, so what? Tell me. She took it very casually. She said, yeah, tell me, uh, what is it? And you know, click, 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 a knitting around going on. And then I said, you know what, you know, you know, <coughs> I was adjusting myself, you know, clearing my throat and said, what's it, tell me. <coughs> Obviously I was thinking, sure, she's gonna get really hurt. We were such good friends and you know, all of a sudden I'm saying that I'm going away from you. Uh, I'm going to search for a different reality. So I told her, you know, I am really tired of the job and everything. I don't like this lifestyle. I don't like this type of living. And uh, I quit my job. I resigned. And there was silence like this. <laughs> so then drop silence. And there was only click, click. My mom obviously didn't look at me at all. She was looking at the needles. And I knew that, wow, I'm going to get it now. But, you know what she said? She said, after about a one minute pause, she said, you know I have eight children, 
And if one goes this way, it's very good. You go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and for a moment, I thought, oh, mom, you don't want me? <laughs> because it turned the other way around. And then my mom said, you go. Please go. Find your way. Uh, and then I did. I said, okay. <laughs> but actually, I kept, with my, I kept touch with my mom quite often because she was a good friend. And she started vigorously reading these books. Whatever affected my son. Uh-huh. And she started reading it. And then she called me up and asked questions. And I was going to meet my mom and answer her questions. You know, this is like this. And I took her around and showed her people and other people like me. And they, she spoke to many people. And she became proud of her son after some time. Mm-hmm. Watching me sitting and giving talks after a few years. And she was sitting there in the audience and watching me, making me a little nervous <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> you know, a very elderly lady. She knows me in and out. <coughs> uh, but it was fun. She's no more. She speaks six languages. And then she started speaking the stuff that she heard from the books, you know, in six different languages to people and helping a lot of youngsters. Wow, and she was an amazing lady after that. I miss her. Uh, she left. But then she was the only lady I have seen who never asked me a question contrary to my desire. So it's okay. And then I asked somebody, you know, my mom is very different from all the other guys. All the other guys, they cry, they roll on the floor, my son, don't leave me. And then somebody told me, your mom is very intelligent. Mm-hmm. And they told me, you know the saying, if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> your mom has done that. <laughs> She's very smart. She's kept you close. You're the one going back to her. You're the one going back to her. I reflected on that. So that was, that, that was one thing hurdle that I crossed, but in a different way. I learned a lot from that. But in the professional way, afterwards, when I went to meet people, I remember that in South India, I would go and meet some big people, ask them to come for the program, and try, ask them to host a program. I want to talk about these things to people. And there was stuff going. Because when they hear me first, they think, oh, this man is, you know. In India, it's like they think that uh, if you don't have anything else to do, you become a monk. (laughs) If you don't get a job, you become a monk. You're a useless failure in your life. You can become a monk. Go to some monastery and become a monk. (laughs) So they looked at me like that, and they said, okay, what do you want? You want some money? I I mean, I'm going to ask you something more than money. Actually, I want your time that you can't get because I'm a very busy guy. I'm not like you with nothing to do. Uh, You know, that's the type of talk he was having with me. Then finally, he found that I'm speaking about certain things which monks should not know about normally. (laughs) I'm talking about engineering and I'm talking about other stuff. He said, what's your qualification? I said, I'm a chemical engineer and I like this, like this. Really? My gosh, what a waste. Why did he become a monk? (laughs) You are a national waste. The government has spent money on you and you are not contributing to the economy. People like you spoil the country. Just went on me like that. I said, hey, relax. It's my personal choice. It's my personal choice. All the engineering I did externally, I want to do it internally now. I'm into inner engineering. I do a lot of stuff inside. Uh, but he said, get out. I don't want to see people like you. I was wondering, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with this guy? It was another experience. When you're a, when you're a person who don't conform 
to certain things and you have a different reality that you believe in and you want to convey to people people get hot with you people get disturbed they don't know what you're doing uh, that was something that was difficult and several other people are also looking at you strangely so a lot of awakening happened to me in many different ways <laughs> I was always wondering hey, why are you thinking like this about me I mean what's wrong with you those days then afterwards it became quite obvious that many people opted for you know I want to be a yogi I want to learn this I want to learn that I mean it's been 30 years since I did that but I'm talking of initial stages uh, Nowadays, the lifestyle is very different. Now, many people are understanding with the rise of internet and social media and uh, information available to everybody. Uh, you know, everything is available on Google. In fact, Google is God for many people. I heard one person tell me that, oh, well, Google, you ask him a question, he gives an answer. God doesn't. <laughs> and they have, they have a... Uh, the Church of Google, you can Google that. The <laughs> Church of Google, and they, they have a whole, uh, you know, what do you call, uh, what do they call that? A whole, uh, you know, uh, writing on why we believe like this. And there's a Church of Google, and there's some one million followers. Oh my God! <laughs> You'll be amazed to know this. I was very amazed to know this. After that, I did a lot of research and I did a program called If Google is God, I am not a monk. <laughs> I did a program called If Google is God, I am not a monk. I spoke to IT professionals in Bangalore. <coughs> uh, so that w that's something very amazing. Presently, the lifestyle is very different. Everybody's life is so digitized, uh, so much into uh, data, Everything is turned into data, emotions, feelings, and everything. And the way technology is progressing today, everybody gets everything on their phones, their devices, and even personality, they're very afraid with the rise of artificial intelligence and many things that are happening. I heard in, <coughs> in China, many of them don't get married, but they, get, they keep robots with them. And they have robots, they name them, uh, and the robot names and he keeps calling them up when they're in the workplace telling how are you did you take your medicine did you eat oh come on wow. you should eat mm -hmm. I mean why don't you eat and then affectionately the robot talks so nicely talks to them that they feel that I should eat I mean you know nobody has ever spoken to me so nicely <laughs> my wife never spoke to me like this I mean, she never even asked me about these things but this robot is so good so programmed to talk to you and then uh, he feels so good about it that, you know, did you take your this thing, did you take your medicine, did you take your lunch, did you meet so-and-so, did you talk so-and-so, can I book a flight for you for so-and-so, you know, this is coming up for you, do you remember? And then they, wow, so good, such a lot of help. And then they pick up a gift for the robot when they go back home from work. They go to the, they go to the store and pick up a gift and they come back and tell, I bought this for you. And there's a reciprocation from them. I said, you brought this for me? How amazing a gift you bought for me. I love it so much. How nice of you. They feel like making love to the robot. <laughs> uh, that's the way it is. It's happening already. It's actually happening already. In patches here and there. 
But the prediction is very soon it will happen because people become so impersonal. They're not personal anymore. Because person to person they have a lot of relationship problems in every field. Right? And so they turn around to machines and they don't, they're programmed to always be good to you. They don't have an individual capacity, free thinking individual capacity as conscious humans. It's amazing. This is a joke. Uh, a, a future joke, that is. A father, knowing that technology has invaded his house so much, people are not talking to each other, everybody's on the devices, everything, and everybody's lying to him. He doesn't know how to be the head of the family anymore. So he got a robot, a special robot, a light detector robot. It detects a light, it'll slap you. Whack! You are back. So he placed that little robot on the table in the dining room and called everybody. I want to introduce you to my assistant. <laughs> he had two kids, one young boy and one girl and then the wife. So they all sat around and uh, uh, he, said, he asked the kid, his young boy, his son, so I want to introduce you to, he named the robot something and he said I want to introduce you to so and so and you know, Something about this robot, don't tell a lie, I'm going to ask you a question. Because I'm demonstrating to you what this robot can do. Right? So he asked, what were you doing yesterday? Uh, I, I, was do, I was doing my homework. Fart! The robot slapped him. I said, wow! I, said, <laughs> I told you, don't lie. This detects lies. What were you doing? Tell me. Actually, actually, I was watching the Toy Story, the movie called The Toy Story. Oh, one more slap. The robot gave him another slap. Then he said, now tell the truth. <laughs> then I was watching pornography. <laughs> I was watching pornography. What? The father said, how dare you? In your age, I didn't even know the spe spelling of P-O-R-N-O. Whack! He got one slap. <laughs> The father got slapped. <laughs> and then the mom started laughing. <laughs> what father? What son? And she started laughing. She also got a slap. Why? Because it was not his son? Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not her son. I mean, it's not his son. These future jokes are awesome. So this is this. This is <laughs> a real joke. This is the future. <laughs> this is the future. So and we, I wouldn't be surprised. Huh? What are we to do with this future? Well, I'm coming to that. <laughs> so this, although it was a joke sometimes, like it's an old joke. I, although it was a joke about 10 years back, it's actually becoming a reality now. It's amazing. A joke is on you. The way it's, the joke is on you because you guys are like that. It's becoming like that. Lifestyles now are so different that people are so disconnected with themselves. What to speak about the reality? What to speak about the reality? So therefore, it's increasingly necessary to have people understand. Excuse me. To have people understand that there is a different reality. And that reality is very important for us. 
Because with all this artificial intelligence and all these things happening now, monks are actually becoming more important, especially those monks who are really into the reality. Now, of course, there are a lot of guys speaking their own stuff, uh, doing their things, uh, trying to reveal reality to them. But with a proper understanding, a proper process, a proper practice, uh, practicing approaching the reality. That's very important. We can't just live life like that and one day die without knowing what is real. That's not very nice. Meaning in life is very important. Now the latest thing, the research is showing that don't try to be happy because that will not make you happy. Trying to be happy doesn't make you happy. But leading a very meaningful life automatically produces happiness. That's real happiness. The other happiness is superficial, to do with the body, maybe to do with a little of the mind. But if you actually think deeply about your life and try to lead a meaningful life, whatever it may be, without any dictations from outside on how you should live that life, Society is constantly telling us what you should do. Huge billboards are staring at us and telling you, do this to be happy. And uh, all over, wherever you browse, you get these ads poking in saying, do this, do this, do this to be happy. And we follow those uh, provocations and we actually complicate our life a little bit. But really speaking, happiness, success, is something that comes inside out from you. Our founder, Prabhupada, he gave the example of a musk deer. There's something very strange about a musk deer. You know the perfume, musk, very famous. It's generated from the navel of the musk deer. And all these poachers, they go and get that gland outside and try to extract that musk uh, from there. They kill the musk deer. But the amazing thing with the musk deer is producing that scent, it oozes out of the navel. And it does not know it's coming out of my navel. And it starts smelling it, wow, nice smell. And it turns around here and there and starts running. Where is the smell coming from? It doesn't know, it's coming from its own navel. Musk deer, you can say, is a little stupid. But we are similarly sometimes not very knowledgeable about the fact that our real meaning and happiness is produced from inside us with a little introspection and understanding of the reality. Yoga teaches you that. And in the process of bhakti yoga, the yoga of love, everybody is seeking that love. Everybody is seeking that loving relationship. In that lies the maximum energy, meaning, and happiness. Uh, that is what yoga teaches you. It's not that I'm leading a life uh, with, uh, leading a life minus so many things that other people are doing and enjoying with. Somebody asked me, how do you know if you've not made a mistake? How can you jump off mainstream? What if it's all wrong? What if it's all wrong? I thought it's a very interesting question. 
I remember the beginning days saying, yeah, what? It's wrong. What do I do if it's wrong? I let me try it out. I'll see. And if necessary, I'll switch half stream, halfway. But it never turned out to be wrong for me. It's something like that. You know, the joke I heard is uh, a monastery, a Christian monastery, and uh, a newbie, he comes and says he wants to be a monk. Speaking of monks and monks awakening, uh, he wants to be a monk. So he came into the monastery and then he said, can I join up? Uh, and so the uh, head there, the father, he said, oh dear, wonderful, how nice you want to give your life in service to humanity and you want to have higher realizations. It's so wonderful, he encouraged him. Then after some days he said, I can't just sit down and do nothing and just read the books. Uh, I need something to do. He said I should serve. He said, okay, you can join all the others who are doing a very important service. So he opened up the door and showed them all busy writing, copying. I said, what's that? What are they doing? He said, they're taking all the manuscripts and the old scriptures uh, and they're taking copies of it and we have only copies, so they're making copies of the copies. You should join them. He said, okay, if that's what you want me to do. So he uh, started copying. When he's copying, you're looking at all the others and thinking, this is wrong. You can't copy from a copy. Because if there's a mistake in the copy, you'll be making another mistake here. And in between, you'll create other mistakes too. It'll be doubly, redoubly wrong. So he said, he told the others, actually, you should get the original and copy from that. You should not copy from the copy. They said, why don't you just do what you've been asked to do? People don't think much, you know, they just do. <clears throat> So he didn't like it. He was a little thoughtful. So he said, I've got to meet the father. And he went to the father and said, telling me, I don't want to do the copy out of the copy. I should actually copy from the original, otherwise those mistakes would be copied again. And the father said, oh my son, that's true. That's true. You really want to copy from the original? I'll give you the key to the cellar down. You go to the basement and there's a whole library of the originals. You can go and do the copying from there. So he said, thank you. And he took it down. He went into the dark, put on the light there, and there's a whole library of manuscripts. So he was sitting and reading and reading and reading. And after some time, the people wanted to know, where's that new boy? What happened to the new monk? And they were missing him. And one fine day, they heard a sobbing sound coming from down there. <laughs> So they said they all ran down. And then he was looking at, look at this, look at this. I said, what? The word is celebrate. You didn't get it. <laughs> and all my life, I thought it was celebrate. <laughs> they copied it wrong. Say celebrate. <laughs> so he was crying after looking at that. I stayed away from all this. So that's the question that reminds somebody asked, what if you're all wrong? What if everything did was wrong? That's looming over everybody's head. No. If you're actually performing it and you're practicing it, then every day is learning added to you. 
and increasingly you get more convinced. You start with a little faith. And that faith grows stronger. It grows into conviction. That conviction becomes a reality. And then you live in that reality. This is a fact. You don't think it's wrong. You may think that you're not up to the mark, but definitely you will understand that this is real. This is the way to go. But I'm not equipped fully, but I'm sure. So that's what I feel. I feel that maybe I'm not up to the mark in some ways, but I know this is the way to go. That much I'm sure. This is the path. Uh, and surely, if I tread this path, I will reach the reality. So I don't want to keep speaking because I, I, I know some good food is waiting for all of us. Uh, yoga food. Um, so I will sort of give you, I will give you some time if you want to comment on it, ask me some questions, and maybe I can also awaken along with you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Any questions? Any comments? Go ahead. Like I told you, I'm a cool monk. <laughs> I have a comment about yeah. uh, the metaphor you were using around uh, the awakening to the spiritual reality. And you said it's similar to like, first everything's 2D and then boom, it's like 3D yeah. and it's just popping out at you. Do you mean that literally? Like the physical sense, whenever you're observing, let's say Krishna, for example, and then instead of this just being an item sitting on a shelf, like it becomes more pronounced. Oh, and not not in a literal sense. Okay. I mean, in terms of a realization and an understanding, a deeper understanding of things okay. around you. I you know, sometimes it clicks. Wow, that's the that's something I always wanted to know. Aha! Uh -huh, now I understand it. Like that, you get a realization. Mm -hmm. You have a little knowledge, and you have a little faith, and you're dabbling with it here and there in the back of your mind. One fine day as you're interacting with somebody or in some instance, you know, you get to boom from nowhere a realization comes and this is how it works. It's an inspiration to get to know the truth. You know, great, even, even all these big composers, uh, who's that? Uh, Mozart. Mozart, you know, became deaf. It's Beethoven. It's Beethoven. Uh, Beethoven. Right? Yeah. He became deaf. Yeah, he became deaf. But he was composing amazing music. So he was proving that it's beyond the physical years alone. There's something else that's required. And a great scientist called Yukil, uh, if you know some chemistry and science, uh, there's something called a ben benzene. It's an octagonal ring structure. And he was trying to work out how does this combine, how does this combine, what's the structure, what's the structure. He's breaking his head for months together. One fine day in the night, he had a dream of a snake trying to turn around and catch its tail and bite its tail. While it was doing that, it formed something like a hexagon. And he woke up shouting, I got it, this is what it is. And he drew the ring and he got that. It's a hexagon. It's a hexagon. Wow, I got it, I got it. And then he said, frankly, I don't know how it came to me. I didn't produce it. It's an inspiration that came from outside of me. I didn't do it. He was honest enough to say that. Right? So something like that, you get something from outside of you. Boom. Hitting you. 
getting to know a little bit of the reality. I think a divine, uh, you know, process from outside, from above, settling on you. That's what I meant. Any other question or comment? Yes. You gave the example about the matrix. Yeah. About, you know, the blue pill or the red pill. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so, um, and you talked about uh, truth and the reality, but it seems a little bit esoteric to me. So yeah. I would like to ask you about the reality. Yeah, at least you must agree that there is something ginst about our reality. There are holes in it. That much you must know, even if you did not, did not know another reality. Simple question people ask is, we die, we cease to exist, and then our reality is completely smashed. That should be a big question that everybody should answer. The other one is, within this reality, it's not very happy all the time. And it's so relative that I perceive my reality through my senses only, through my interpretations that come to my brain and my mind. It's an interpreted reality to me. What I feel, what I see, what I smell, what I taste, these are all the inputs to my reality. That's what Morpheus is telling Neo in the movie in Matrix. He's telling him this. And in all these books of uh, Prabhupada, he mentions this very well. He talks about it a lot. There is another reality. And we are eternal, permanent, spiritual beings. And we exist beyond this body, beyond death. There's a changeless core inside you. If we awaken to that changeless identity of ours, then we can access another permanent reality which doesn't destroy itself due to death. You're eternal. That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing. So, that, the prospect of that makes you immensely happy and very optimistic. Hmm. Right? Otherwise, life is pretty pessimistic because you're going to die. What amount of positivity will stop you from the negativity of death? You can't simply think positive about death and pass it away because you'll definitely die. Right? So certain things you just can't be positive and walk off life. You have to face reality. Okay? Right. Any other questions? Let's do real stuff like eating something. What was your like understanding level of all of this when you first quit your job and went Good question, it? very good question. I just was I did not have an understanding of these things, but did have an understanding that something is jinxed with what I'm doing. It's not good, it's not bringing me I was a very good student in school, in college. Uh, you know, pretty good in my studies. I was supposed to come to America and join my brother who's still here in Pittsburgh. He's, he's married uh, to an American lady, a Jewish American lady, and they've been living for long, 
with two kids. And he said, he passed out before me, he was a Hatfield gold medalist, metallurgist. And then he told me, he has to join, I have to join him. I prefer to actually work for two years and get some working experience started to then join to do my MS and then my PhD and everything. And in between, these things happened to me. So I never came here, never met him. <laughs> uh, <coughs> because I understood that I'm not going to do that. I took a decision. I'm not going to do that because many people are doing that. And I meet all of them and they don't seem to be knowing what life is about. So I didn't do that. But, but I knew something is wrong with what I'm doing. It started with dissatisfaction. Yeah, somebody else raised their hands. Yes. Um, I'm, uh, like you were sharing, you had your life laid out. Yes. The next step was always in front of you. Yeah. And your mother being your friend was very, uh, had an impact on, on your thinking and your aspirations at that time. So what was that? I mean, of course, like, I, I believe so far I've had dissatisfaction with a lot of things in life. And I, I, I've kind of come to accept it as a norm because it's a challenge. And it's only when you overcome a challenge that you grow. So it's, it's kind of difficult, the nature of life, to be at, I mean, if, not, if you're not a monk, it is difficult to be at eternal peace because the system, like the matrix, the system is like that, that you need to kind of evolve. So what was that, 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 that triggering point that when did you, like, I mean, like I was saying that dissatisfaction is kind of continuous, it's perpetual. So what was it that was so overpowering that made you challenge everything that you had been taught so far about life and what is right and what you need to get it right and just be like, okay, I'm willing to trade my certainty yeah, on the that, pursuit of something. That happened when I read some of these books, especially the Gita. When I read that, then I came to know about a who, like Einstein said, no to have said that, he read the Gita and he said, I'm like a small boy discovering new shapes and sizes and shells of the seashore and getting amazed with this while a whole ocean lay next to me undiscovered. He read the Gita and said this, wow, what an amazing explanation of the real stuff. Uh, so when I read that, I thought, well, this is something 180 degrees the other side. And uh, it promises, and it had such weight, and it had such solid uh, intellectual and reality-based proposition, which I thought was very interesting. Because these type of questions have been bugging great philosophers for long. And till date, nobody has really answered these questions fully. You know? Many of them have got different philosophies. So this is in everybody's mind, actually. But we get so stuck in the rut that we don't have time to ask these questions. We're so badly busy. Yeah. So that's a big flaw in the civilization that we have. People should be given freedom to sit and think and reflect and introspect and uh, match up with what's life about, what's the goal of life and what's happening, everything. There's what's a real big deal about doing anything great if you don't have an 
experience of the reality. Those things caught me. And when I read these books, I felt, wow, that seems very convincing to me. I should go for it. Even if I fail, at least I'll know that I've gone for it and failed. At least I know this is not it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. Just oh. one question. Oh. So, it's, we're all very... Yeah these days we read a lot of books and so we become very logical, right? Our education system is geared towards thinking everything as mathematics, logic, and equations, right? So, and we try to reason everything um, and debate it and democracy and whatever. So, but in this process, what you described, it seems that at some point, faith and logic, you've got to balance and they may not seem to go hand in hand, but faith kind of, there's a tipping point where faith uh, supersedes, uh, and then you put that into practice. Uh, kind of, there's always that conflict going on, and um, because we can't interpret and understand everything through logic, we got to take the leap of faith literally. Well, <coughs> that's a age-old. It's an age-old debate of the rationalists and the faith-based people. They will talk about religion being faith-based, and uh, science and rationalists being uh, persons who are reason-based. I run it through my system, run it through my intelligence, my discrimination, and my rational capability. It makes sense, therefore I do it, but it doesn't make sense. What you're saying doesn't make sense to me. I'm not speaking about religion, actually. I'm speaking about something experiential. <coughs> I was just referring to this when you did Kirtan, and I saw everybody was very happy. They were going in circles and, you know, something about it was making them feel free. We all have that capacity to be feel free, but we're not able to do that all the time. And we know that there is something in store for us, but we're not able to access that all the time. Right? So I'm speaking with something experiential. My faith is only initially a faith. It builds up gradually to be out of experience it becomes a conviction of the reality and then the conviction matures further to become the reality because you live in that reality you're not anymore based on perceptions and sensory inputs suggestions from the mind and the brain but those are there for worldly living externally but you're accessing a deeper reality and that you can experience gradually so it's not only with reason you can understand these things. It's maybe beyond the puny reasoning of your intellect. You must accept that. Reality is not something that you can encage the whole thing and put it in the palm of your hands and within the capacity and boundaries of your intellect. Why should it be like that? Why should it be like that? Yeah. Um. <clears throat> I just wanted to comment on um, the logic versus faith thing. I've tried to study like a lot of different um, spiritual practices, and I found the Srimad Bhagavatam and the Bhagavad Gita to be the most like almost balanced between logic and faith. There's a lot of logic behind a lot of Srimad, uh, mm. a lot of Prabhupada's readings and teachings and stuff, and also just the idea of uh, reincarnation. Like if you look at Newton's law of motion, his third law. Energy cannot be created nor destroyed, only transferred. And if you believe the soul is of energy, then, I mean, it just makes sense that once our bodies are gone, the physical matter 
whatever energy is inside of it is just going to shoot somewhere else or be transferred into something else. Mm. I always found that what other like teachings lacked was logic and like a lot of science-based thought behind it. And that's why I liked a lot of the Srimad Bhagavatam and the Bhagavad Gita. There's a lot of the logic-based and like, I don't know. A lot of it makes sense. Like the Age of Kali yeah, Yuga, a lot of things the Age of Kali Yuga describes we're yeah. experiencing right now. And I was just like, man. You're having a realization. Yeah. In your own way. Yeah. According to your own experience. It came out of you. Yeah. That's what I mean. That will increase your conviction. So it's not something that I need to quantify with logic and numbers and everything. It's an experience. I read that, I understand. Things happen inside me. And that's not something that's quantifiable, put it on paper, the logic, step-by-step, sequential stuff. We don't need to express it like that. Like consciousness. The fact that we are all conscious beings is our experience. But science is not able to prove it and put it in scientific terms. You can see them, the experts who study consciousness saying that. That we know it, we experience it, it exists, we relate, but I can't speak about it. <laughs> I can't put it down. So the realities like that that are beyond logic and rational. Uh, we can't depend and encage all realities within rational and this thing alone. Need not be limited. The reality is not limited within the boundaries of your rationality. Need not be. Yes. Okay, thank you very much. Hare Krishna for your interest and pursue it nicely. We'll be here to assist you. There are great persons here. I'm just a wandering monk who comes once in a while and slips off. I have a fun time going from place to place. But uh, these are all exalted individuals who have experience of these things here. And I'm sure they'll contribute a lot to your life. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you.